What's good, Legacy City? Hey, let me let me let me run a little test real quick. Uh, how many of you honk if this is you? If you're going on eight plus weeks with no haircut right now, yes. Let, let's just do this, all of us together. Everybody who honk, let's just buzz it the whole thing. M- male, female, doesn't matter. We're just gonna do the whole thing, and we're just gonna like ride this thing out, right? Until the barbershops open again, which hopefully will be soon, because I'm just filling it on my ears, and I hate that. I'm so excited to be here this morning and to share with you all from God's Word uh, here on this uh, (laughs) 49-degree brisk Sunday morning. Very different from last week and the week before. Um, I don't have the sweat rag today because I don't think I'm going to need it. Uh, But I am very excited to share with you uh, this Word because I feel like God's been preparing this Word for you for some time. Uh, a few years ago, a pastor that I respect named Rich Wilkerson Jr., um, he wrote a book called Friend of Sinners. And immediately when I saw that, when I saw the title, when I saw when he released it, this title like jumped out at me. Like I, I saw it and I was like, wow, that's, that's a really, really good title. It just kind of hit me because Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? Like we know he came to save sinners, and we know that he spent time with them and that they were the focus of his ministry. We, we know that and we get that. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. This is such a scandalous idea in a time where, where piety was the religious standard. And, and so I got the book and I read it and I loved it naturally. Uh, very Christ-centered, very gospel-focused, but in a way that's like accessible, if you, if you know what I mean. And, and so I thought about it a few years ago. And I knew that there would come a time when, as a church, uh, we would have a teaching series by the same title. And so when I was planning out 2020, uh, you know, toward the end of last year, I I felt led to include this series about Jesus being a friend of sinners. And now here we are. Hopefully in the downswing of this virus, hopefully as things are beginning to to be reconciled and return back to normal, we're we're preparing to, to restart society and restart the economy. And, and the, but there are so many people searching right now, searching for answers and, and for reasons and for, for justice and for resolution. And, and they're looking and they're looking and they don't know where to turn. And so many of them are realizing for the very first time that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He, he's the friend that they need in this present time, in this present trouble. He's the friend that's been there all along ready to save you. He's the friend that stands by you when you're hurt and defeated, and he lifts up your head, and then he shouts your victory. Come on, somebody, look at the car beside you and shout out, I have a friend in Jesus. You might have to roll down your windows. You're all cold. I get it. That's okay. Listen, I'm, I'm like getting excited talking about Jesus as my friend because we, we talk about Jesus as a lot of things. We talk about Jesus as our Savior. We, we, we talk about Jesus being our Lord. We talk about Jesus being our King. And, and we talk about all these things. And listen, all of those things are true. He is all of those things. But Jesus is also our friend. Because, because I want you to get this, church. He doesn't just love us. He actually likes us. He doesn't just love us. He actually likes us. He didn't just die for us. He wants to know us and have a relationship with us. And, and possibly most amazing of all is that Jesus was a friend to us long before we were a friend to him. Scripture tells us that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Come on, somebody. How incredible is that? When we spat in his face, he laid down his life for us. 
When we cursed his name, he called ours out from a cross on Calvary. When, when we were lost and wandering, he knew exactly where we were, and he was calling out for us the whole time. What a friend we have in Jesus. And so let's, let's just pray real quick, because I know we prayed a lot, and prayer is so crucial and vital and important. But, but I'm believing today that the Holy Spirit's going to do what, honestly, I can't. He's going he's gonna to get to some people's hearts today. Maybe, maybe here today, maybe you're watching online, you're with us if you're with us here at the drive-in, maybe you don't even believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't even believe in, in God. And, and listen, that's okay. If that's you, that's okay. We're grateful that you're here, that you're watching, and we believe that God is big enough, and he's not afraid of your questions. He's not intimidated by your doubts. All right, we, we believe that. If, if he is who he said he is, if you ask him today, I think he'll reveal himself to you. He'll, he'll reveal himself to you, and I think he's going to do something great today. And so would you just pray with me as we jump into this one more time? God, we thank you so much that you brought us here today. Like We thank you for our church, God, but we don't want to take it for granted. Lord, we believe you're doing something here in Greenwood, and we thank you for this community of faith that you've put us in. And so today we ask you, Lord, challenge us, encourage us. Lord, help us to discover the friend of sinners, Jesus. Help us to see him in a new light. Help us to learn more about his nature, about his character, about his name, about who we are in him, because we want to be like him. And so today, Lord, speak to us during this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody. If you love Jesus, make a little bit of noise in the drive-in today. It's really funny because when I say that here, they, uh, all the mics are pointed this way. Maybe, maybe you'll pick it up on this one. I don't know. All the mics are pointed like this way, so nobody can hear you guys honking. So it sounds really funny when we watch it back online because it's like, everybody honk for Jesus. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Amen. So, so I have a question as we get into this, and I can't really hear many of you or see many of you because you're all in your cars, and it's, it's, a, it's a dim day, and I can't really see through your tinted windows, and and so, so, so if you can help me out with this, just, just crack your window a little bit. I, I, maybe I can get like a hand out the window, or if you've got a sunroof, just pop your hand up through the sunroof. But, but i got to ask this question, and, and I want to I see if this applies to you today, okay? Have you ever been skipped in line before? Has anybody ever been skipped in line? Anybody ever been cut in line? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of angry people out there. Got their hands up, waving them around. It's me. I've been skipped in line. I'm so upset. Hey, listen, I am a pretty easygoing person. I don't really get bothered by, by bad drivers. In fact, Jen, my, my wife, always wants me to, to like, honk at people. Like, we're, we're going down the road, and she's like, that person just cut you off. You got to honk at them. Or, you know, that person's doing this. You got you to gotta lay down the horn. And I'm like, it's eh, not me. That's not my thing. Right? And so, so I, I'm an easy, I rarely send food back at a restaurant. Like, it's, it's fine. If you give me food, I'll eat it. Unless it has mayonnaise on it. It's literally... The only reason, if, if the devil's condiment, a.k.a. mayonnaise, is on my food, I've got to send it back. But any other thing, you could give me the absolute wrong meal, I'm probably going to eat it because I'm, I'm kind of easy, easy going like that, right? Like, I don't mind crowds. I don't mind being in a big crowd and, and being pushed around, you know. I like being in tight situations. I like being shoulder to shoulder with strangers. It's fun. It's, but somebody cutting me in line, bro, 
you cutting me in line? Like that just, I don't know why, but that one gets under my skin. Like there's, there's just something inside of me that starts to well up. Like this, this like unrighteous anger starts to come out of me. Like, listen, you can pray for your pastor because I, I, I know how this sounds and I just got to be real with you uh, here today. It's, it's beyond annoying. And, and again, I want, you to, I want you to pray for me because I have a hard time letting it go when it happens. Like, I fume for a bit. It really gets to me. And I, I remember, I, like, I'll go home and talk to my wife about it later. Like, you won't believe what happened today. And I'm, I'm talking about it. I'm telling, I'm calling people. Like, can you believe what, what went down? Because I get so irritated. And, and listen, here's the thing. I have a long history of being cut in line. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you can relate to this. I have a long history of people breaking in line in front of me. Back in grade school, let's take it all the way back to when we were on the playground, I vividly remember one of the first times I was ever cut in line. We were playing hopscotch on, on the uh, paved circle where the school buses come in at later. We were at recess playing hopscotch, and my friend Stuart, who, who is not my friend anymore, he cut in line in front of me. And so I said, hey, not cool, and I removed him from line, and I took my spot back. And then he came up behind me, and he shoved me. I fell down on the pavement and scraped up my whole chin. And then we had school pictures the next week, and I had a big bloody gross chin because I was so upset about somebody cutting me in line. I'm kidding. Stuart's cool, and we're fine. Uh, I've gotten over it, clearly. In, in college, I remember, uh, I, now many of you might not remember this, but Black Friday used to not be an online thing. Uh, for Black Friday, you used to go to the stores, and you would go and camp out early. Uh, so I remember Best Buy was one of the funnest ones to go to. And so we would go to Best Buy at about midnight uh, or 1 or 2 in the morning, and we would camp out until 5 a.m. when they opened the doors. Now, here's what happens is we go to Best Buy, we get in line, and then somehow, miraculously, the line starts to expand from the front, more people start to come into the line from the front. And I can't hold my tongue. I can't hold back. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I start calling people out. Hey. And, I, you know, I want to get the crowd on my side, too. So I'm like, hey, do you guys see what's happening? This guy just came in. And so I got into, like, a sh I remember I got into a shouting match. My friend was, like, mad at me. Like, why are you causing a scene? Why are you making a big deal about this? Like, it's fine. We're all going to get inside. We're all going to get our things. But it just something wells up inside of me. It, it kind of bothers me. And even now as an adult, I have problems with it. When, when school was still in and all of our kids were going to school, I would go to pick them up from school. And if you've ever done this routine where you go in at school, uh, most schools, they have two lines, right? They have two lines that merge somewhere near the, the front where you go to pick up the kids. And, and so what happens is, like, at the very beginning, everybody gets in those two lines. And, and it's to kind of get more people in. And then they rotate, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. And it's great. It's fine. It works perfectly. Now, I choose to arrive a little bit later because I don't want to wait in that long line. And so I arrive just a little bit later after that initial wave is gone. And by the time I get there, what happens is everybody has, has courteously moved into one line. There's no longer two lines. Everybody's now moved into one line, and it's only like seven, eight, nine cars deep, right? Like it's not very long. And so I get in the back of that line because I am a courteous person. Lo and behold, every time. And this is the one I call my wife on. Can you believe what's happening right now? Lo and behold, every time, soccer mom in her, you know, whatever, Prius or what Alexis or whatever, cruises past me 
and all 10 other people in line down the second lane and breaks in line in front of all of us. And I am fuming in my car. I'm like, oh, I want to get up there and, you know, that might be a time to honk the horn. I don't know. But it just kind of gets under me. It gets under my skin. It, it, it bothers me. And, 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 I, and maybe you don't experience this kind of like I do, and that's okay. Listen, I know it just sounds extreme. You probably have other things. But, but here's, really, here's really the thing, though. Here's really the, the issue. Why does it bother us so much? Why does it bother me so much? I remember my friend, he was, he was like asking me at Best Buy that, 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 that Black Friday, he asked me, he said, why does this bother you so much? And I don't remember my exact answer, but it, it probably sounded something like this. It's not fair. Right? Like I've been waiting. We've been waiting in line. All these people have been waiting in line. That person did not wait in line. They don't deserve to be at the front. They need to wait in line like the rest of us. And listen to me. I recognize that I could get very unpastor-like in these situations, but I am not down with somebody stepping in front of me after I've been waiting. Like, it's not happening. I'm not for it. You don't have to feel as strong as I do. That's okay. But I hope that, at least on a, on a very basic level, this does strike a chord with you. Because here's the deal, church. Whether we can admit it or not, deep down, we want people to get what they deserve. You say, oh, pastor, no, not me. Yeah, you. You do, you do. We want people to get what they deserve. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is something that's pretty much, that, that pretty much all of humanity has in common. We all struggle with this idea of fairness and justice. You do this, so you get that. You didn't do this, so you don't get that. Like, that's, that's what we think. That's how we feel. That's how we live. Right? You showed up early, so you get to be first in line. You showed up late, you don't get to break in line, and if you do, we're going to impound your car and you don't have car privileges for the week. That's what I want to do, right? Justice, right? But the thing is, is that we're so, we're so justice-minded when it comes to others, but we aren't very justice-minded when it comes to ourselves, right? We're not very justice-minded when it comes to ourselves, we, we like to be on the receiving end of mercy, but when it comes to others, we want to make sure that justice prevails. I want you to listen to me, church. This kind of thing might work and be okay in some areas of life and society, but it will absolutely cripple your theology. Why? Because I want you to hear this. Grace is anything but fair. Grace is anything but fair. And I want us to start here today. I want us to start with this, this, this illustration. And, and many of you know this, but I want to remind some people today that the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, is not the proclamation that the good will be blessed. The gospel is the proclamation that even the bad will be blessed if they put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. Come on, somebody. The gospel isn't fair, at least not the way we define fairness. And, and here's what happens to many of us, is, is we take this, uh, this cutting in line analogy, this illustration, and we apply it to God's word, and we say that we know the gospel, but then our perspective of, the, of, of other, other people is that we constantly want others to continue to get what they deserve. And, and if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to discover who he really is, and, and you're going to find out quickly, uh, what you're going to find out quickly is that you're going you're gonna to continue to be frustrated and annoyed constantly because Jesus is anything but fair. I mean, church, he offers us grace. 
grace by definition is the unmerited favor of God. The mean that it's the unmerited favor of God, meaning the moment that we deserve it, it ceases to be grace. It is the unmerited, and He pours it out on us. He pours it out on us. And and, and what is the gospel? The, the gospel is very simply this: Jesus came to take everything that you and I deserve, so that we could get everything that He deserves. Come on, church, is anybody thankful for a loving Savior who came to this earth and traded places with you and offers you grace? We should be excited about that. So I believe, I believe this in this passage we're going to read this morning, Luke chapter 19. I think we find one of the most beautiful stories of the gospel and of Jesus being the friend of sinners. And, and of a man getting something that he does not deserve. So the title of the message this morning is Fast Pass. Fast Pass. And, and you'll see why when we get to it a little bit later. So we're going to read this passage, and then we're going to kind of walk back through it a little bit. So Luke 19, uh, verses 1 through 10. And, and just, just in case you guys can't hear, remember, oh, well, I don't know if you'll hear me if I say this, if you can't hear, but remember to tune your radios to 106.1, and you'll be able to hear anything um, you're probably not hearing what's coming out of these speakers very well. So 106.1, and you can hear what's going on. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read them, and we're going to go back over it. He entered Jericho, and he was passing through. He's talking about Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. The Bible says he was short. All right, he was, a, he was a little guy. And so he ran on, and that's okay. That's what, so he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is all the people around, the crowd that was there. And when, he, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He's a rich man. Half of my money I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I'm going to pay it back with interest times four. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, I love this so much. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, Zacchaeus was this short guy, right? Not picking on him, just what the Word of God says. I think there's a song about it, but I didn't go to church as a, as a child, so I don't know. Uh, Jen was singing it earlier. Uh, people know it, apparently. Um, the Bible also tells us that he was a chief tax collector. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to pump the brakes right here because my gut tells me that as we read through that, you didn't catch all of the deep implications of what was happening. And I want to make sure that we catch all of this and that we understand all of what's going on. So let's pump the brakes for a minute because I, I want you to understand exactly who it is that Zacchaeus was. All right, Zacchaeus, for lack of better words, was he is called a chief tax collector, but for lack of better words, he was a mobster. That, that's what he was. 
He was more like a, a gangster in this day. Like being a tax collector meant that he was working against his people for a foreign power known as the Roman government. And here's also what he was doing, taking his people's money, and he was lining his pockets, extorting them while he was paying off the Roman government. And so in every sense of the word, Zacchaeus was not a good man. He would have been a bad dude, like a full-on mobster shaking down the neighborhood. He was literally getting rich off of people uh, who were working hard, and he was literally taking advantage of people, extorting their money, and becoming wealthy in the process. So that's who he was. But let me come at this from another angle. Let me give you a little bit more to go with. Let me start with the historical facts that will give you more insight into what a tax collector did and what they were aligning themselves with so you can better understand Zacchaeus. So Rome at this time is a superpower, right? And how did they become that way? Come on, you know this. They had a big, bad army. Right? That's how you became a superpower. They had a big, bad army, and so they went around. They went city to city, and they defeated city after city, place after place, and they became a superpower. They conquered everyone they come in contact with. And if you read historical accounts of the Roman government, here's what I want you to know. They were a bar barbaric people. We think of them as great thinkers and philosophers. We think of them as artists and creatives. But you know what? They were barbaric they were pretty savage, okay? There, there's accounts of them going into cities, killing all the men, raping all the women, sacrificing or enslaving all the children. There's stories of the Roman government that when you would come into a city that they had sacked, a city that they had taken over with their army, they would line the streets with people on crosses, hanging on crosses so that people, anybody coming into the city would know that Rome had been there. Okay, so let's connect the dots. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine a foreign power came in and conquered America. Right? They were barbaric. They killed most of the men. They raped most of the women. They sacrificed many of the kids, and those that they didn't sacrifice, they forced into slavery. Not a great thought, right? Now, here's what I want you to do. Imagine your next-door neighbor. Imagine he works for them by taking your money. That's his job. That's his livelihood. That's what he does. Listen, I don't know about you, but, but understanding these things, I don't like Zacchaeus. I don't like him at all. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not big on this guy. Dude does not deserve anything. He deserves justice. He deserves punishment. Yet, the scandal of the gospel is that every page turn every page turn in Matthew Mark Luke and John every time we turn around we discover that Jesus is hanging out with men like Zacchaeus he's constantly in these spaces that society says he shouldn't be as a man of God but the reason why he was there is because he came to seek and save the lost come on church does anybody know what I'm talking about today this is what our Jesus does and, and so let me give you three observations from this passage this morning. Let me give you three things. The Bible says, here's the first thing. I'm going to give you the first thing. Uh, determined to see Jesus. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Determined 
to see Jesus, and I'll, and I'll talk about it here. The Bible says that Jesus is passing through. He's heading to Jerusalem. But there was a crowd of people surrounding him. And the Bible says that there was this tax collector, we just talked about him, his name is Zacchaeus, who wanted to see Jesus, but because of the crowd of people, he was too short to see over them. And so he, could, he couldn't see, he desired to see Jesus, but he couldn't see Jesus. And I've always found that phrasing very interesting because in many ways, I think it's a picture of what the world looks like. Like, like I, I believe I believe that everybody in the world is hungry to get a glimpse of Jesus. I believe everybody's hungry to see Jesus. They might not realize it. They might not know it. But I believe everybody wants to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. But many times it's church people who are unwilling to get out of the way, and therefore they can't see him. It was, it was Gandhi who said, uh, I would be a Christian, but I've met too many Christians. Listen, sometimes it feels like people don't actually have a problem with Jesus. They actually have a problem with you and me. They, they may think like, oh, well, I, I think Jesus is provocative and, and profound and radical, but I just met too many of his followers who for some reason always make it about themselves instead of about him. And so we block and obscure the view of Jesus. The Bible says that Zacchaeus desperately wants to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, but he can't because the crowd of people are surrounding him. I think many times, us so-called followers of Jesus, this is how we are. This is how we operate. We say that we are found, but we keep living like we're lost. We say that we've encountered, the, the, we've encountered Jesus and we've encountered the light, but people look at our life and all they see is darkness. I, I firmly believe, I believe this church, that if you've encountered Jesus, people ought to be able to see Jesus on the inside of you without you ever even having to say a word. I believe this. And I, and, I, and I believe that as your mission as a Christ follower is to simply get out of the way and let Jesus work. And, and listen to me, you actually have to be okay with letting his glory shine through your, through your scars and shine through your pain and shine through your problems and your issues. Church, can we get out of the way sometimes so that the people in the back can get a glimpse of Jesus? So that the Zacchaeuses of the world can get a glimpse of the Savior? Sometimes we're the people in that crowd that's preventing others from seeing Jesus. They feel spiritually short. They feel inferior. They feel hopeless because we give the impression that people only get to see Jesus if they somehow deserve it. And that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what he shows us in this particular passage. So he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. But Zacchaeus was determined to see Jesus. And you can write that down if you're taking notes. He was determined to see Jesus. The first observation. I think Zacchaeus is thinking, maybe this man has answers. Maybe he can bring me some peace, he thought. I, I wonder in this moment how many people around us secretly desire to see Jesus. I think sometimes we're so quick to, to judge someone's readiness to see Jesus. And, and honestly, we can be dead wrong. There are a lot of people in our lives today that deeply desire to know God. They might not know that that's what they're looking for, and their attitude and their actions may be far from Jesus, but deep inside they would do anything to see him. People are determined to see Jesus. But let me ask you this. Are you determined to show people who Jesus is? 
are you determined to point others to Jesus? And so Zacchaeus, he does two things that, um, that a man of his stature and position would never do. He does two things in these moments, and I want you to, you, you might not catch this right away, and so this is why I want to I I give you this information. I want to lay, lay this on you. Um, he would never do these things, but because he was determined, he did them. The first thing the Bible says is that he takes off running ahead of the crowd. You're probably like, well, well, pastor, that's not really a big deal. There's no scandal there, right? No, that's actually a really big deal, because in the Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago, dudes didn't run, why? You might ask if I could actually hear any of you and see any of your faces. Why? Because the idea was that whatever you were running towards or running after, it would insinuate that that thing was more important than you. It would be demeaning. But secondly, it wasn't just the fact that he was running, because in order to run, there was a practical thing you had to do first. You had to roll up your tunic to run. And, and in doing so, when you rolled up your tunic, your legs would be exposed. And back in that culture, a man did not expose his legs because exposing your legs is one of the most shameful things that you could do. And so Zacchaeus, he takes off running, right, in front of the crowd. And I just love this picture that the Bible lays out for us. And here's the second thing he does, which is absolutely crazy as well. He climbs into a sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree. Again, pastor, that doesn't really seem like a big deal. I'm not, I'm not getting where you're coming from. Okay, first of all, it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> Grown men don't normally climb trees. Some of you may disagree. I don't climb trees. I'm not trying to fall and get hurt, right? Grown men generally don't run ahead of everybody and climb up a tree. You don't normally do that. Grown men definitely... Grown men usually don't climb trees to catch a glimpse of another grown man while wearing a tunic. I'm just saying, it's kind of weird. Like, he's getting up there in the tree. You don't normally do that. And, and so I just want to give you this picture. Here's this mobster, this gangster, this, this bad dude who's got it all together, according to society. All right? And like, he's, he's rich, he's wealthy, and now he's running. He's probably sweating. He's up in this tree. To a casual observer, it would appear that he has completely lost it. He's totally lost his cool. It's the second observation. Zacchaeus lost his cool in order to see Jesus. He lost it for Jesus. He ran, which was undignified. And not only did he run, he climbed up a tree just to see Jesus. He left his money bags. He left his scrolls. He left his dignity on the ground behind him, and he climbed up a tree. Zacchaeus has totally lost any bit of cool that he had. And listen, this kind of reaction is something that we're all guilty of. It's something that we've all done. People lose their cool over seeing a celebrity. You ever seen a celebrity in the airport or at the mall or you visited a big city and you see a celebrity from afar? You're, you watch a, a limo drive down the road and you're like, who's going to get out of it? You're trying to see because you're ready and you're excited and you're about to lose your cool if it's somebody that you love or somebody that you like. An athlete. You meet your favorite athlete, you meet, the, you meet the best player on the team, you meet your, your person and you lose your cool. Okay, maybe you've never met anybody famous. Maybe that one doesn't hit home. You know what? When You can just bring it all the way to the person that you love. Remember those, those butterflies early on in the courtship and the dating relationship? You saw that person and, and you just lost it. 
You just lost it. You said things that you wouldn't normally say. You did things you wouldn't normally do. You couldn't figure out what to do with your hands, right? Like, do I put them in my pocket? Do I hold things? I don't really know because we lose it. So we all understand this, and it's the same with Jesus. Listen to me, church. You can't come to Jesus and keep your cool. Zacchaeus gives this beautiful picture of what it looks like to discover Jesus. He's running in front of the crowd. He's sweating. He's rolled up his tunic. He's exposed his shame. He gets up into a tree just trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And church, I want to remind you today, that's how we should come to Jesus. We don't come to Jesus with our cool self. We don't come to Jesus with our put-together self. We, we don't come to Jesus all swagged out and strutting. No, we, we come to Jesus desperate. We come to him broken. We come to Jesus and, and say, I'll do whatever it takes to just get a glimpse of who he is. Come on, somebody. Is it, has that been anybody's story? Two people? Cool, two people. That's where Zacchaeus is. He had to come to the end of himself. And he realized in that moment he needed something more. And what he didn't know at the time is his effort to see Jesus could never compare to what Jesus was going to do for him. Zacchaeus did whatever it took to see Jesus, but Jesus did whatever it took to save Zacchaeus, even dying on a cross. I came to tell somebody today, no matter what you've done to reach God, God has done more. No matter what you, no matter how much you want God, God wants you more. Any, anything that you're willing to do for Jesus, he has already done for you. The very fact that you desire God is an indication that he desires you and he has made a way for you to be reconciled. We're going to start to wrap this up. But I don't want you to miss this, church. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Notice that all Zacchaeus did, all he did was climb a tree. He didn't, he didn't say a prayer. He didn't answer an altar call. He didn't give any money. He didn't even promise to change anything at that point. He just wanted to see Jesus. And listen to me, that simple fact was enough to stop God in his tracks. To stop God in his tracks. There's a crowd of people, probably followers of Jesus, right? This crowd of people, these fans of Jesus, the, the people that love Jesus' message, they're crowding around him, they're touching him, they're pushing him. And the Bible says Jesus, as he's passing through, he stops in his tracks right there and he looks up into the sycamore tree and he looks right at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down here. I'm coming to your house today. So what I want you to see this, I, I want you to see this today, and, and here's what it is, because this is so beautiful to me. Whoever you are, whether you're watching online or you're joining us here at the, at the drive-in, I want you to know this. And this is observation number three. God knows your name. God knows your name. And in knowing your name, he knows everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yet, he still calls out your name. Out of all the people in the crowd, of all the people Jesus could have called out, he chose the least deserving guy, and he called him out by name. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You know, sometimes we think that we're out there on our own, 
like, like wandering around in the dark, wandering around in this dark world in, in a quest for some elusive God. Yet I find it so comforting that Jesus spotted Zacchaeus. Something that I've come to understand about God, church, is that God is both big and small at the same time. Big enough to create the universe and, and every living soul, yet still small enough to know the intimate details of your existence. He is both big and small, and this is the God who wants you to know him, to love him, and to be loved by him. A God who can do anything he wants, and yet he chooses, come on somebody, he chooses to spend the day with you. He chose to go with Zacchaeus. I came to tell somebody listening today that God knows you like no other, and he loves you like no other. Regardless of what you did or didn't do, regardless of your past, listen church, this is actually a really good picture of salvation. That you cannot hide from the grace of God. He will find you wherever you try to hide. He'll find you in a tree. He'll find you on the back row of a church or in the back aisle or lane or whatever these are of the church. He'll find you back there. He'll find you in a broken marriage. He'll find you in a failed business. He'll find you in the midst of addiction because if God wants you, he's going to get you. Why? Because salvation is by God, for God, and through God. You know when you contribute your sin. Here's my sin. Here's my shame. I believe you. I put my trust in you. That's it. God came for you, and he picks you, and he chooses you, and he calls you out by name. Robbie, come down out of that tree. Today, I'm hanging out with you, bro. Today, we're doing it. We're getting together. You might be the last deserving guy here, but I want to go to your house. I want to get to know you. Listen to me. If Jesus found Zacchaeus up in a tree, he can find you wherever you're at today. In brokenness, in addiction, in strength, in weakness, he will stop under your fig tree and he will call you by name. And so Zacchaeus, he got his wish. Not only did he get to see Jesus, but but. But now Jesus, the guy with all the answers, come into his house. And so verse 6 says, he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. He couldn't believe his luck. Like how incredible, how amazing. He gets to hang out with this guy that he was really excited about seeing. And he just wanted a glimpse of, but now he gets to spend time with him. Right? But the rest of the crowd wasn't happy about this. And, and for good reason. They had been waiting. They all wanted to see Jesus. They all had needs that they wanted to be met. And this guy who, who steals from his own people, the, this is the one that gets the quality time with Jesus. It's no wonder that in verse 7 he sa they say this, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. He gets out of that tree, and everybody starts to mutter. There's all this chatter. People are going back and forth. No, 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 no. Wait a minute, Zacchaeus. He belongs in the back of the line. He hasn't waited his turn. Maybe they try to get the crowd on their side. Hey, are all of you seeing this? Are you seeing this guy? Can you believe this guy? He got up in the front, but he belongs in the back. That's, listen. You may be thinking, you may be thinking that's crazy. I wouldn't do that, but that's how we live. 
That's how we think. That's how we behave. I can see where they're coming from. And if I were them, I would have been upset. Unless, of course, I was Zacchaeus. And, and I guess that's the point of the whole passage. Grace is most appreciated by those who need it the most. Jesus didn't come for the most deserving. He came for the least deserving. He didn't come for those who have it all together. He came for those whose lives are falling apart. And at the end of the day, we all need Jesus. We, we just don't all recognize it. And, and here's the most beautiful part of the story. Zacchaeus simply encountered Jesus. He just had an encounter with Jesus, and everything changed. Like everything changed. It prompted something in him to say, I've been accepted. I've been forgiven. And you know what he does? He starts to do some things. He says, I want to give 50%. Come on, church, that's quite the tithe. 50%. He says, I want to give it away. He says, I want to help people. I want to make things right. I want to go back and, and right my wrongs and fix the things that I broke. And Jesus' response to this revelation is today, salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. One more illustration, I'm done. Many, many years back, back in college, um, I guess it's been a lot more years than I like to think about now, but it's been a while back. Right out of college, uh, I worked in marketing for a few years. And, and I remember us doing this event at uh, Six Flags Over America, which is in, in Baltimore. And we were doing this event there. It was, a, I think, a multi-day event. And, 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 and we had some downtime. And so we want to go ride some rides. Right? We want to go hang out at the park, ride some rides. And I, I think at the time they had the, the fastest roller coaster in America at the time. It, like, shot you out of the gate at, like, 70 miles an hour or something crazy like that. And, and then I think it had, like, the second or third tallest roller coaster in, in, in America at the time. And, and so we were really excited. We want to get out there and, 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 and wait and, or, and ride the rides. But we got in these lines. And I don't know if you've ever been to a theme park that has this. But you get in these lines and, and there are signs along the way that says, from this point, you've, you've got a 45-minute wait. From this point, you've got an hour-long wait. And, and so we're there, we're waiting in line, and we're so dejected, and we're like, we don't, I don't know if we have time to do all of this. I don't know how time we're, if we're going to have time to, to, to ride these rides because we, we only had a set amount of, of time. And, and I'll never forget what happened while we were waiting for the fast coaster. We were waiting for that really, really fast one. And I'll, and I'll never forget what, what happened. This dude, and you know, like looking back on it, I think, he might have just been an angel disguised as a park employee. He, he comes up, he walks over to us, and he says, hey, you guys, we had our shirts on. He says, hey, you guys shouldn't have to wait in line. I have four fast passes. And he hands us a lanyard with a fast pass on it. And, and I was naive because I had never spent more than the bare minimum at a theme park, and even that broke the bank, you know what I'm saying? And so I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. What's a fast pass? And he said, oh, man. A fast pass allows you to get out of this long line over here and go get in that short line that looks like it doesn't have any people in it. And you know what I said? There is a God. And so we got the passes, and, and all of a sudden, I had like this frolic in my step. I was so happy. I was celebrating. This is the year of Jubilee, right? And so I think about that experience, and I think back on that experience. And, and yes, I know that it's ironic that I loved cutting people in line at the theme park when I absolutely hate people cutting me in line. I get the irony, and I know what's up. Uh, again, you can pray for your pastor. But, but I think that experience, I think about that experience, and it occurs to me that Jesus is our fast pass. 
He's your fast pass. He came and got in line so that you wouldn't have to. He came and took everything that you deserve so that he can give you everything that he deserves. I, I don't know who's listening. But I believe that he wants to do that for you today. In the story that we read, he took the most undeserving man, Zacchaeus, and he moved him to the front of the line. And I believe he wants to do that for somebody here today. Jesus is your fast pass. Come on, somebody, give God a big shout or a horn honk of praise. He is the friend of sinners, and he knows your name. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray, and, um, and the band's going to lead us, and we're going to sing about the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of our God. So wherever you're at, in your car, at home, I just want you to, to just, just bow and, and, and close your eyes and just get along with God for a moment. And we're just going to pray together. And listen, nobody at Legacy City prays alone. So we're all going to pray this together. And if this, is, if this is your first time ever praying this prayer, there's nothing special about the words. It's all about the heart. It's all about the encounter with the living God. Because in that moment, Zacchaeus wanted and desired to see God, and everything changed. And you know what? Everything could change for you right here, right now, in this field. So we're all going to pray this together. God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for me. He knows my name. He's called me out. And today I am responding to him. Forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you. I love you, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.